Come on. Well, if you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 5. Come on, somebody. Acts chapter 5. And as you're turning there, we've been in this series on Acts. We're going to continue it. We're going to go through the whole book of Acts. It's all about the early church, the very beginning of the church, how Jesus started his church, how he called his church to live with courage, to live with um, a demonstration of power. And the works that Jesus did, he said, you're going to do these works, miracles, signs, wonders. People are going to come to believe in Jesus through your good deeds, through the way that you take care of the needs of the poor, um, through the way that you show the demonstration of the power of the gospel, and you'll be filled with power from the Holy Spirit. And next weekend is Pentecost weekend. Don't miss Pentecost weekend. It's going to, I mean, this has just been a buildup. I feel like God is wanting to do some revival, uh, not just some, but a whole lot of revival in the church. So Acts chapter before we get into Acts chapter 5, really Acts chapter 4 ends with the introduction to Acts chapter 5. So let's look at verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. This is Acts 4 verse 34. For time, from time to time, those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money from the sales. They would put this at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So we saw that happen this last weekend at Victory. This happens on a regular week um, at Victory where we are helping meet the needs of whether it's you know widows or orphans, single parents, whoever's, uh, whoever we can. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And so we're able to do different things for different people and help meet the needs of people, whether it's in the Dream Center, Victory Manford, Victory North, right here at Victory Tulsa, uh, whether it's people coming over uh, across the bridge from Walmart, coming over from apartments, just people in the church. We have grocery bags on site, trying to help meet the needs of people. So this is what the apostles were doing. The disciples were doing this. And there was a man named Joseph in verse 36, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Now, we're going to find out more about Barnabas later on. He was one of Paul's co-workers. In fact, Barnabas was the guy who came to Paul's defense when a lot of other disciples didn't trust Paul, didn't think Paul was telling the truth, didn't like Paul. They felt like he was, you know, maybe out to get them. And Barnabas was a great disciple. In fact, his nickname was the son of encouragement. That's a good nickname to have. You know, encouragement is something our world needs a lot of right now. Encouragement doesn't cost us anything. To encourage somebody, it is a free thing, and yet it has powerful dividends. It is one of the greatest investments you can make is just to encourage somebody, to speak life into somebody. Every day, I try to encourage my wife. I try to encourage my kids. We try to encourage our boys. We say, you are mighty men of God. Even when they are acting rowdy and wild, even when we have to discipline them. I just speak life, encouragement. You, you have a sound mind in Jesus' name. We encourage our boys to encourage their sisters. Go tell Ellie that she's so pretty. Why do we do this? Because our world is hurting from a lack of fathers and mothers speaking life and encouragement into kids. What we saw happen in Uvalde, Texas this last week was not just demon possession, although I do believe that was a massive part of it, but it is a lack of a father 
love and affirmation and identity and encouragement at a young age, if we can train children up at a young age to know who they are in Christ, to speak life, our world is so full of just mean, bullying words. And if we can begin to shift the narrative in public schools, in Christian schools, in homeschooling, if we can begin to speak life. Barnabas was an encourager. Somebody say, I'm going to be an encourager. You never go wrong speaking encouragement to people. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas did this because he loved God and he loved people. That's the mission here at Victory. Love God, love people. Really simple. Love God, love people. Barnabas did this not because he wanted to impress the apostles, not because he wanted to pretend to be something he wasn't, not because he wanted to act like he was a wealthy man and dropping a big offering at the church and showing everybody. He did this because he cared to help people's needs. But what we see is kind of a contrast right after this. There was a, a couple who watched what Barnabas did. They watched what other people were doing, and they said, we wanna, we wanna look impressive. Their motives were off. Watch this, it says now in verse one, Acts chapter five, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. So, what he's doing here is he's not all in. He's, he's doing something for the appearance of being religiously elite, being um, wanting to appear impressive in the eyes of Christians, wanting to appear like he is just as generous as Barnabas, that he's just as compassionate. And you know what? He didn't even have to do this. No one was forcing anyone to sell their property and give the money. This wasn't an expectation. This wasn't a, um, you know, you have to, there was no obligation. We're gonna find out later on when Peter talks to him, he's, he's saying, this is your money. You didn't have to bring this. But when you bring something and you say, this is all it, and you know you're lying, you're not just lying to me, you're lying to the Holy Ghost. And, and what God is frustrated here is not greed, although there is a lot of greed, there is a clinging to his possessions here. What he's more frustrated with is hypocrisy, dishonesty. Like, if you're gonna do something, do it. And, and if you're gonna say that this is what you're doing, then make sure that you're saying it, like say it from a sincere heart. And this man holds back. And Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, I read this passage 20 times this week and I was thinking, it's Memorial Day weekend and I'm about to preach on Ananias and Sapphira. And... <laughs> And, um, and I was thinking, you know, Lord, give me like a, just a really encouraging sermon to the church this weekend. And I felt like the Lord said, don't skip this passage. How many of y'all have never really heard a sermon on Ananias and Sapphira? Um, if you've been in victory, you've heard my dad preach it in the past, probably. Um, it is so important in this day and age that we preach the whole counsel of the word of God. There are certain passages in the Bible where you kind of scratch your head and you're going, huh, what, what do we do? How, do? how do we handle this one? How are we gonna get through this? Let me say this. This is the only time in the New Testament where something like this happens. There are other moments where di disciples and apostles sin. They make big mistakes, worse mistakes than Ananias and Sapphira, and they don't fall down dead. So don't be afraid to come to church if you cussed um, or if you, you know, like I think some people read this story and they think, man, I'm gonna get struck by lightning this week. God's against me. He's not. 
This is a specific moment in the early church as a warning that God cares more about sincerity than perfection. It's not about appearing perfect or selling your whole house and your car and giving it all you know, to church or to missions. It's about living with a life that is just open and honest with God. You don't have to be open and honest with everyone on Facebook or everyone, like I don't sit down with my three-year-old and say, I need to confess all my sins to you because I gotta be, he doesn't know what to do with that. He's like, okay, dad, tell me more, you know. He, my three-year-old, God's not expecting us to just, you know, open up and confess to everyone, but he is expecting us to be honest with him. And that's where Peter's talking to Ananias here is this is a warning for those of us in the church to be real with God. Just be real with God. If you're going to be real with anyone, be real with the Holy Spirit, because you can't, you can't deceive the Holy Spirit. You might be able to trick a lot of other people, but you can't trick God. He sees it. He knows it. So Peter looks at him. He says, Ananias, you've been deceived. You listened to a lie from the enemy. I almost titled this message, Lies That Christians Believe, but I decided not to. I'm just going to keep the message chapter five. There are lies that certain Christians will believe, and one of the lies is that I need to appear religiously impressive in order to keep up with the other Christians in the church. No, you don't. Come as you are. Give what you can. Be honest with where you're at. Open up to someone. You don't have to open up to everyone, but open up to someone about what you're struggling with. Be honest with God. God is not expecting perfection. There is a lie from the enemy, a religious lie that says you've got to appear that God cares more about how you appear than he cares, that he cares more about your image than he does your soul. That's a lie from the enemy. God is more interested in your soul, the inside. What good is it if the outside of the cup is clean while the inside is ugly? What Peter was saying is, Ananias, you didn't have to appear impressive. None of us are trying to appear impressive. Peter's like, I cut a dude's ear off. You think God's cool with that? He's not. But don't pretend to be someone you're not. Be honest. So he says, Ananias, you kept for yourself money and you acted like you didn't. You acted like this is all the money from your land. Didn't this money belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could do whatever you want with your money. What made you think that you had to appear impressive? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Now, some scholars believe he died from heart attack, that he died from shock, that he died from fear, that there was a panic attack that happened. Um, but I, I, I believe that in this passage, we don't fully know exactly what it was. We just know that God was dealing with the church in this moment and giving a warning that he cares more about honesty, that, there, that he cares more about sincerity, he cares more about surrender, than he does impressing people with our image. And fear seized all who heard what had happened. There was a fear. And there was young men who came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? And she hasn't seen anything. She goes, mm-hmm, that's the, that's the money, you know? <laughs> And I could just picture it. I, Peter's just like, are you serious? And he says, the same men who just buried your husband are going to carry you out. Why and how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, 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 listen. It's so important that we listen to the Holy Spirit, that we lean in to surrender. Lord, I pray right now, God, 
that you would just stir a conviction in our hearts. Just close your eyes all over this place. Lord, I pray that we would be convicted to live with a fear of the Lord. Not that we are afraid of you, not that we are afraid of some intense, deadly judgment, but Lord, that we have a reverence for your presence, a reverence for your word, a reverence for who you are in our lives. God, that we care more about pleasing you than we care about pleasing men. That we care more about God just being surrendered to you than being impressive in the eyes of men. Lord, I repent for any hypocrisy. God, in my own life. And I pray right now, Lord, for anyone in the room who just needs to repent to God for any hypocrisy, anything, God, that we would say was not fully honest with you because you are the most important person for us to be honest with more than anyone or anything else. So God, I ask, Lord, for your grace, Lord, your mercy, and I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would birth a purity in our hearts to honor you above all else. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much, Carlos. I'll call you back in just a moment. Oswald Chambers said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Some people question whether Ananias and Sapphira were actually, actually believers, actually believed in God. Um, and, and there is, I've read tons of articles this last week of, of different people who kind of studied this story and they said there was kind of a split down the middle that these two possibly were not actually believers but imposters, that they wanted to kind of be a part of this group of power, but they weren't all in. They didn't truly believe in God or the Holy Spirit. It was more like they just wanted to appear impressive. It's so important that we put our full faith and trust in God that we trust God for our provision, that we trust God for our protection, that we trust God for not just our provision financially, but our provision of emotional needs, that we trust God is going to take care of the needs in our life, that we trust that God protects even the areas in our life that he's working on. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they had some things that needed to be worked on. They needed to be in a place of discipleship. They needed to be in a place of receiving from God. And if they were gonna give, they needed to be honest about what they were giving to God. Instead, they were clinging to their possessions. This last week, my son Benaiah, he found a bird outside our house. And the bird was, you know, crippled. And it was still alive, but he couldn't fly. And so um, Benny, you know, he's like, Daddy, can I, can I get the bird? I said, well, let's just, you know, let's let the bird be in peace. Because Benny, Benny, when Benny finds something, he goes all in with whatever he finds. And I said, let's just, let's just let the bird be in peace. But before I could stop him, he had already picked the bird up. And he's like, pretty bird, pretty bird. <laughs> you know? And he's holding this bird. And, uh, and Mac comes around. And Mac's like, let me, let me touch that bird. Now, Mac is a rough character. He's still growing in the Lord. We're praying just for a full discipleship in Mac's life, all of our kids' lives. But Mac, you know, he gr grabs that bird, and Benny's like, Mac, you're squeezing it too tight. And he goes, okay, here you go. And he gives him back the bird. Liam's petting the bird. And uh, next thing I know, the bird's head is like this. And I was like, Benny, what happened? He's like, he's just sleeping. He's just sleeping. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. <laughs> Our pet's heads are falling off. Like, this, this, this bird, this bird was dead. And I'm looking at Benny. I go, Benny, you squeezed it too tight. He goes, no, 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 I'm protecting it. I'm protecting it. And then a few minutes later, he's like, yeah, he's dead. And um, so he does a funeral for the bird, and they buried him in the yard. And I feel so bad for that bird. Lord, forgive us. Um, 
But I noticed that the more that he held tightly to that bird, that bird wasn't going to make it. And there's something about holding tightly to our possessions. What Peter was trying to tell Ananias and Sapphira was, one, don't lie to God. But two, why, why do you think holding back a part of it is going to bless you? If, if you believe that God's your provider, why not just give it all to God? You're watching Barnabas do this. You're watching other people do this. And when you have a full trust in God, you're not trying to cling to your stuff. You're not trying to cling. When God asks you to give something, he intends to bless you on the other side of whatever he asks you to give. When God leads you in a conviction. Now, these disciples were doing this from a free will offering. There was no pressure to do this. Last weekend, there's no pressure. Uh, when, when we ask you to be a part of giving in the offering, we're not trying to say, do this until you, you know, don't have enough money to pay for it. We're just saying, give to God, trust him to take care of your needs. Whatever God lays on your heart to give to him, continue to rise in a place of generosity because the world of the generous gets larger and larger while the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And when you don't fear God, to fear God doesn't mean to be scared of God. It means to trust God. To fear God means you actually believe there is a God and that God is to be honored, to be esteemed, to, to be respected. It is to firmly embrace God's heart, to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. God doesn't hate people. God doesn't hate human beings. God doesn't, even sinners, even this guy who committed a heinous crime in Uvalde, Texas, God still loves him. Now, in our human minds, we don't understand how could God love someone who did something so terrible? Why, why would I love a person who does something so terrible? We need to carry a love for humanity the way that God loves humanity. Otherwise, we won't know how to help change people who are in a process of headed towards destructive paths if we don't learn how to love people the way God loves them. We hate sin. We hate darkness. We hate the effects of sin, how it brings so much pain and destruction in the earth. But the fear of the Lord is to love what God loves. God loves people. To hate what God hates, God hates sin. And to have a, a cherished value on his presence and his word. To say, God, I care about your word. I care about your presence. I honor you. Lord, when I miss it, I want to be sincere and honest with you. The fear of the Lord is not perfection in your life. It is surrender. This is what Peter was trying to teach to them in this moment. It says a great fear seized the whole church in this moment and everyone who heard about these events. Now, after this, the apostles performed, in verse 12, many signs and wonders among the people. Where there is a reverence for God, there's more miracles that can happen. I remember preaching at a church in Peru, and it was a massive church, and this was several years ago. This was 10 years ago, and things have changed since then, but I remember when I preached, nothing happened, and I thought, man, I am a bad preacher, you know, like one person got saved, one person got healed, and I, I was preaching my heart out, just sweating, and uh, the translator, he was kind of falling asleep on me in the back, you know, like he would sit down. I was up at the front of the stage. He was sitting on the drum. He was literally sitting back here just interpreting for me, and he wouldn't walk all the way up there, and occasionally I would look back, and he was just kind of laying down. <laughs> I'm preaching to thousands of people, and this guy's sitting on the, on the drum stand back there, and and I was so frustrated. I was like, God, what did I do wrong? The next day, I preached in a very small church just two hours away from this city. 
And it was packed out. There was about 500 people there. I preached the same message. I felt like the Lord said, preach that same message of faith. And the whole church responded to the altar. Dozens of people got healed. Dozens of people got saved. There was an outpour. You could feel the presence of God so thick in the room. And I heard the Lord say, the difference was these people valued my presence. These people cherished the word of God. They had a hunger. They had a lean in. They had an honor and a reverence. Just last week when I went to the PGA tournament, you could feel the honor and the reverence when Tiger Woods would walk down a certain part of the field. Everyone was quiet with their phones out. They were like, don't say anything. It's Tiger Woods. He's 10 feet away from us. And it was 30 people back. I mean, thousands of people reverencing the presence of Tiger Woods. What if we reverence the presence of God the way that people reverence the presence of an athlete or a celebrity? What if we reverence the very presence? What if we said God is in the room? His word is being preached. Oh, my God. He's about to do something miraculous in this place. What if we reverence God? The way that we reverence athletes and, 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 and celebrities, there, there was such a reverence that miracles begin to happen. Left and right, watch what happens. Verse 13, no one dared to join this group because they were so respectful of them. They were highly regarded. The church was influencing society. Instead of society influencing the church, the church was influencing. Come on, God's getting ready to give the keys of America back to the church. Public schools are about to open to spirit-filled churches. There's about to be discipleship programs in feeding centers, in homeless shelters, in medical. God's about to do something in hospitals, in orphanages, in boys' homes, in rescue homes, where there's been a shut door to the church. God's getting ready to unlock doors that have been shut in America because the church has the answers to the problems in the world. I'm telling you, they were influencing society. Verse 14, more and more people begin to believe in the Lord and were added to the number. So even though people were afraid of the church, they weren't afraid in the sense of, oh my goodness, this church scares me. They were going, this church is powerful. If I'm going to join this, I'm going all in. And all of a sudden, people just started surrendering their hearts to Jesus. Thousands of people started joining the church. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets. Can you imagine if people went into, you know, if like nurses and doctors started saying, hey, we got we to gotta get our patients out of St. John, out of St. Francis, and we got to bring them to victory. We got to get to that parking lot service because people are getting healed. People are literally getting healed of cancer, of sickness and disease. People were being brought on beds and mats that when Peter's shadow would cross past someone, people would get healed because of the shadow. Man, I can just feel the power of the Holy Spirit in the room today. Crowds would gather from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and tormented by impure spirits. Can I tell you what we saw in Uvalde, Texas, what we've seen in all of these mass shootings is there is a, a demonic oppression on men's minds. When you study just what has cause some of these people to do what they're doing, there is impure spirits that have touched the minds. Every shooting has happened from a male. Every mass shooting. And what God spoke to me last year, I preached a message called Healing the Man's Mind, and God reminded me this week, it is time for the church to focus on healing the man's mind. Because there are men who are causing destructive behavior. Not, there's an attack on children there's an attack on children in our nation. There's an attack on kids in the classroom. There's an attack on kids in the bedroom. 
There's an attack. The enemy is in a perverted spiritual attack to try to uh, transform society's minds, starting with kids. And I'm telling you, the church is rising up. We are fighting back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The book of Acts is needed more than we realize it. We need deliverance for men's minds, deliverance for women, deliverance for families. So they would gather, and those who were tormented in their mind would get healed, healed of depression, healed of panic attacks, healed of oppression, healed of dark, destructive thinking. And then the high priest and the associates and the members of the party and the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Watch this. Instead of the religious people getting saved and joining the movement, if you can't stop it, join it. Instead, they got jealous. And here we have Caiaphas jealous of the power of these uneducated disciples. And they arrest the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, God's about to do something during the middle of the night. In the middle of darkness, when you feel like you're down to nothing, God's up to something. God's about to break open prison doors for your family. God's about to bring prodigal sons back to church prodigal daughters. God's about to heal relationships that literally look impossible to heal. God's about to open doors that have been locked shut. Jail cells are about to open. During the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought Peter and John out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. Everybody say, this new life. We have a miniature book here at Victory that Grand Grand has just continued to champion that my dad wrote that now, how many millions of this new life books have been printed, mom, Grand Grand? Millions. It's, it's all over the world. It's been translated in multiple languages, at least a dozen plus languages. It's, it's in Russian. It's all across Africa. It's in South America, Central America. It's in Spanish and Portuguese. It's in Chinese. It's all over Asia. This new life book from Victory Church is just a small 50-page book. I got an email this week from a guy who says, we have ran out of this new life books. We've passed them out to all the inmates in every prison in Oklahoma. We need more this new life books. They're just these small books talking about this new life in Jesus. People are getting saved because of the small printed material that's flowing from this church. Can I tell you, Victory, you are already spreading revival and salvation just through what you're doing, being part of what God's doing. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. They said, go get those guys out of prison. When they went to the prison, it says in verse 23, we found the jail securely locked with guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, they were wondering, they were, they were at a loss for words, what is going on? And someone came in and said, look, the men you told to stop preaching are standing in the temple courts. The men you locked up in jail, they are now preaching and we can't stop it. This church is unstoppable. They're unbreakable. We can't tame them. We can't sophisticate them. We can't put them in a box. This church is unstoppable. At that, they did not use force because they feared what the people would do if they touched the apostles. The power was so strong on the church, they could not stop them. Man, I love this. I want the band to come out. Verse 28, it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined. Somebody say determined. 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 You are determined. You're determined. 
Now, the, the Pharisees thought, you're determined to make us feel guilty. The apostles knew, no, we're determined to lead people to Christ. We're determined to lead people to repentance, to find forgiveness of sins, to find salvation, to find this new life. Peter and the other apostles replied to the Pharisees. They said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Oswald Chambers says, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you trust in God, when you reverence God, you're not afraid of what man can do to you. Man might be able to take your life, but they cannot take your soul. Peter would be hung on a cross upside down. John would be thrown in boiling oil. He would be exiled to an island called Patmos. Paul, most people believe that Paul was killed uh, during the time of Nero in the Roman Colosseum. Um, all these, Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. None of these men feared their lives. They lived with a boldness, a courage. And church, we're not even being persecuted that badly in America. We have a reason to keep on preaching the gospel, to keep on worshiping, keep on gathering. We don't know how much longer we have before Jesus returns. Let us not neglect gathering together, preaching the name of Jesus, demonstrating the gospel. There are nations where they have literally shut down the ability to gather, and yet we have a freedom here in America still to gather, to worship, and pray. Men and women paid their lives for us to do this. Let's not resolve to just be a convenient Christian church who stays home, who says, I'm too tired to get up. I don't want to sacrifice to drive to church. It's just too much. I got to pay $4 for gas. There are men and women who paid their lives in blood so we could gather to worship Jesus, to pray, to stand together, to contend for revival. So these disciples, they said, we, we're not going to do what you ask. We're not going to do it. Praise God for godly governors and mayors and leaders. We need to pray for that in our nation. There were people in this time who wanted to stop the church. And they said, we are witnesses to what God has done. And he's given us this message. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put these disciples to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel was the guy who taught Saul, who would later become Paul. I can't wait to get into that part of Acts. It's so good. It's, in, it's, in, it's going to be in chapter 8, 9, and, and 10. It's going to be powerful. You don't want to miss this series. But Gamaliel, he stands up to the Sanhedrin, and he says, listen, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied around him. But he was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him was Judas the Galilean, appearing in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. Now, Gamaliel is about to prophesy about the church, and he doesn't even know it. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But... If it is from God, you will not be able to stop Victory Church. If it is from God, you won't be able to keep them from gathering. You won't be able to stop 
what they do in the city. You won't be able to stop how they impact North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East Tulsa, West. You won't be able to stop them from meeting in the parking lot or the rooftop. The enemy might come for them, but he doesn't stand a chance against the God who's inside that house. If it is from God, they are unstoppable. You will find yourselves fighting against God himself. His speech persuaded them. They flogged the disciples. They whipped them. They ordered them, don't you speak in the name of Jesus, but the apostles left and they praised God for the adversity that they had gone through, the suffering they had gone through. And day after day, they would meet in the temple courts and from house to house on first Wednesdays, they would worship God. They would light their candles saying Christ is light. They would proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, before we pray, can I take five more minutes and then we're just going to pray and worship. Seven things we can learn from the early church. Seven things that they teach us in this moment. Number one, purity. They had a purity about them. What made them spiritually strong and healthy was the purity. They were committed not to be perfect, but to let the Holy Spirit purify their hearts, starting with that very beginning of Acts 5, saying, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it all in. If we're going to give, we're going to give with honesty. Number two, they had power. These leaders modeled an attractive, supernatural power that met humans' needs. They were, they were walking in power. Number three, they endured persecution. The church will endure persecution. Opposition only strengthens something that God has anointed. God, God said, you will face troubles of many kind, but take heart, I've overcome the world. When you go through persecution personally or you go through persecution corporately, just know this, opposition is purifying you, it's strengthening you, it's testing your faith, it's making you more genuine. Number four, they had a proclamation. They would, they would proclaim the word of God, the good news. While the world was shouting bad news, they were shouting victory through Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? victory. But thanks be to God who causes us to, they had a proclamation. Y'all, when we stand up and we proclaim the victory confession, we are literally proclaiming good news, our best days. I've read the book of Revelation. I know how it ends. The devil is defeated and the church wins. I don't care what's going on in America in 2022. Jesus has the final say. God says his church is going to shine brighter and the enemy is defeated. Shout unto God with the voice of victory. Number five, they had priorities. The leaders would clearly lay out their top priority, which was to spend time with Jesus, to pray, to hear from God, and then to begin to make their decisions based off of that top priority. Don't let society, don't let your company decide your priorities. Make a personal decision. I'm putting Jesus at the top of the list. We're going to get to church every week. I'm going to make an effort to get my kids in children's church. I'm going to train them up in the word of God. I've got priorities. I know right now it's crazy. It's busy. There's all kinds of different sports schedules and different things going on and work asks you to do this. Put Jesus at the top of your priority list and watch what happens in your family. Number six, praise. They had a powerful praise. They had a praise in the midst of adversity. They kept on giving thanks to God. They praised God for every season they walked through. And number seven, they had perseverance. The leaders would continue to influence Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Rome. They had a, a life of conviction. They would persevere no matter what they walked through. Would you stand your feet all over this place? Lord, I pray, God, for a persevering church. I pray for pastors and leaders to rise up, God, specifically in Uvalde, Texas, to surround these families who have lost children. 
let's just take a minute to pray for moms and dads and family members of these kids, these 21 people who were killed this last week in a school shooting. If you don't know what to pray, just pray in the spirit. If you don't know how to pray in the spirit, just say a few words to God. Say, God, I pray for peace. Listen, a prayer is never a bad idea. Prayer is powerful. Don't underestimate the power of prayer, corporate prayer, personal prayer. Don't underestimate when they, when the disciples would pray, things would change in their hearts. Prayer is our first response. It's not our last resort. Prayer is how we respond to what's going on in our nation. So Lord, we pray right now, God, for moms and dads who just lost a 10-year-old boy, who just lost a 10-year-old girl. We pray, God, for husbands and wives. We pray, God, for family members of these kids, of these teachers. We pray for your comfort, your peace, God. We have no clue what they're going through right now. Some of them are, are, are going through terrible thoughts in their minds, feelings of hurt and anger and guilt and grief and shame. And God, we just pray in Jesus. Some, some parents are just afraid to even go back to school, afraid. There's, there's, there's fear that's been caused by the enemy because of this. And we bind it in Jesus' name. And we bind the demonic power of the enemy trying to inflict and, and, and to influence men's minds, women's minds, kids' minds teenagers' minds. We pray, God, for revival in America. We pray for revival in public schools, in Christian schools, in private schools, in homeschool co-ops. We pray in Jesus' name, God, that what the enemy intended for harm, God, where there's been so much hurt and grief and murder, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, God, that you would stir up a hunger in your church to contend for generations, to contend, God, to minister to those who are tormented in their minds. In Jesus' name, we bind the devil from trying to stir up another shooting. And God, we pray for wisdom for our leaders. Wisdom, God, for our, our, our governmental leaders. Wisdom, God, for those in Texas, those in Uvalde. God, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you know all things. You know every part of this story. God, where society is getting stirred up in division and strife and there's all kinds of political arguments, Lord, let the church arise with the voice of hope, with the voice of peace, with the voice of grace, with the voice of love, with the voice of compassion, with the voice of truth. In Jesus' name, let us not be swayed, God, by divisive arguments, but God, let us get involved with prayers, God, with petitions. Lord, let us get involved, God, with our hands and our feet. And I pray in Jesus' name for mentors to get involved in the youth groups across America. I pray, God, for spiritual moms and dads to help mentor young boys and girls who are struggling with all kinds of mental disorders. And I pray in Jesus' name, God, for families who've lost children. God, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I pray that you'd be with them in the middle of the night. God, I pray that you would be with them on the holidays, that you would be with them on the days where they just are, are missing their kids. And God, where there's hatred and there's anger and there's a sense of wanting to get revenge, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would lead us to a place of godly repentance. And Lord, receiving forgiveness and grace, I pray for every man and woman in this room today, every person, God, who just needs renewal in their minds just needs purification in their hearts. God draws to you when we don't know what to do. Let us draw to you. Let us look to you. Let us find healing in you. The Holy Spirit is saying he can heal that too. He can heal that too. He doesn't just heal tumors. He doesn't just heal headaches. He heals hearts. He heals marriages. 
He heals prodigal sons. He heals depression. He heals anxiety. He heals those habitual sins that you keep going back to. He can set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free from dark thinking. Whatever it is that's plagued your thoughts, your heart, your emotions, your feelings. Maybe you're here today and you just need the Holy Spirit to bring healing to your mind. Maybe you're just quickened right now to pray for family members, for friends all over this room. If you know you need to get down to this altar today for something specifically in your life that you need the Holy Spirit to do, or it's for someone else, I want you to leave your seat. Come and find a place at this altar. If you need to surrender something to God, if you need to lay something at his feet, if you're saying, Lord, I surrender this to you. Lord, I'm choosing to worship instead of worry. I'm choosing to pray instead of panic. I'm choosing to be a solutionist instead of complain about it. I'm choosing to let you help me to know how to get involved instead of just talking about it and watching the news. Lord, I'm choosing to let you renew my mind. I'm choosing to let you renew my heart. I'm choosing to ask you to heal my marriage, heal my family, heal my mind, heal my life right now. Whatever you need, just bring it to the altar. Ask God for his help. Ask the Holy Spirit to get involved. If you need healing today, come down to the altar. If you need mental or emotional healing today. Come down to the altar. If you need God to get involved in your family, if you're praying for a son, if you're praying for a dad, if you're praying for a husband, if you're praying for a wife, if you're praying for a mom, if you're here today and you are desperate for God to move in your life, just leave your seat. Come down to this altar and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. And let's just take a few minutes. We're just going to worship and pray before we dismiss today. Go ahead. Lead us in that song, Rose. Let's just begin to worship and pray. If you need to get right with God today, come and find a place at this altar. If you need to get things right with the Holy Spirit today, come and find a place at this altar. Wherever you're watching from, just begin to call on God.
children now. You are the same God. Let's keep praying right now you for our nation. Let's keep praying God. for those in Texas. You answered prayers back. Let's pray for moms. Let's pray for teachers. You are the same Let's pray God. for dads. You are the adversity. He wants to remind you that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That's you. You are that church. We are that church. God wants to remind you that you have purpose even in your pain. God wants to remind the church in Uvalde, Texas, you have purpose even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your adversity. There's kids that need you that are still here. There's families that need you that are still hoping and praying that the enemy is not going to destroy their family. So church, let us rise up in this hour. Let us remember every person that the Holy Spirit leads us to talk to, to pray to, to encourage, could be, could be the one person that changes a neighborhood, could be the one person that stops something bad from happening in a school, in a family in a hospital, in a church. Don't underestimate the power of just being led by the Spirit this week to pray for people, to lead people to Christ, to encourage someone. You could be the one person that shows them Jesus that thwarts the plans of the enemy. The enemy has a strategy, but Jesus has a greater strategy. God's gonna use his church in this hour to bring life See, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. So the church comes to bring life, to bring restoration, to bring resurrection, to bring reconciliation. The church comes to bring the life that the enemy came to destroy. The church comes to restore what the enemy stole. 
The church comes to resurrect what the enemy tried to kill. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you would use us this week. Fill us, renew our minds, remind us of our purpose. Lord, we just break off apathy and discouragement and depression, disappointment, fear, anxiety. God, let us be filled with faith this week. Faith, God, trust in you. Lord, let us look to you in Jesus' name. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. You are my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you are involved in every area of my life. Holy Spirit, have your way. Work in me. Work through me for your glory. I'm all yours, God. Satan, you have no authority, no power over me. I'm a child of God, and I'm bringing his power to restore what you've tried to steal. I'm bringing life. I'm bringing hope. I'm bringing joy. Because greater is he who lives in me than he that is in this world. This is the day that the Lord has made, so I will rejoice. I will be glad in it because God is not finished with my life, with my nation, with my family, with my testimony. So I overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of my testimony. He who started this work will be faithful to complete it. In Jesus' name, amen.